Turn with me over to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 5050. We're going to look at Joseph today. We're going to continue our series on men and women of the Bible. Um, the title of the message is Joseph, the Wounded Healer. Joseph, the Wounded Healer. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. 15 through 21. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now, please forgive the transgression of, of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Verse 18. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to, pre to preserve many people alive. Verse 21. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Lord, help as we study your word. In our series, we've looked at Adam, we looked at Eve, we have studied Noah, and we've studied Sarah, and continuing in the book of Genesis, Joseph today. And in order for me to talk about the passage that we, we just covered, I have to give you some degree of history. Joseph was the favored son of Jacob. Jacob, who would become Israel and father, 11 other sons that would become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel, including Joseph. Jacob was an interesting character in that he was the son of Isaac, the twin brother of Esau, fraternal twins, not identical. And Jacob had his way of trying to figure out how to get God to bless him. And it was fairly manipulative. Even from birth, he tried to pull his brother back, Esau, who was firstborn, so that he might be able to be the firstborn. In fact, his hand was on his foot. And thus he was named Jacob, meaning supplanter, somebody who would take the place of another. And sure enough, during his life, he did everything he possibly could to try to replace Esau is the firstborn. Esau is on a long hunting trip. Unsuccessful was he. He comes back home, three days, he has not eaten. Jacob was a shepherd, not a hunter. And so he had food all the time in that he could get a lamb or a goat from the flock. Esau comes in, says, I am famished, give me some food. Jacob says, I'll give you a bowl of a stew if you give me your birthright. What kind of brother... Who does that? I'm just, what kind of relationship did these dudes have? Your brother's hungry and you're going to bargain your stew for his birthright? Something wrong with you, Jacob. Give him some food. If I had heard, if you had heard as a parent 
that that's the way your brother treated his brother, your son treated his brother, you'd be, you'd be so fuming mad. What's, this is Jacob. At the end of Isaac's life, who was the father of both of them, Rebecca, who is the mother of both, married to Isaac, says to her son Jacob, let's concoct a plan whereby the blessing that he, meaning Isaac, is to give to your brother Esau is now given to you. And Jacob says, well, how's that going to be? He's going to know the difference. Well, at this time, Isaac was almost blind. He had aged to such a degree that probably cataracts had formed on his eyes, he couldn't see very well at all. And so his mother said, let's, uh, let's put some goat skins on your arms and around your neck and, and uh, you know, make you smell kind of like the wilderness. And, and, and we can fool your daddy, which makes you think, what did Esau smell like? <laughs> and how did he feel? If, you, if he felt like goat skins? was <laughs> some kind of different man right there. But it worked. He comes into Isaac, who's ready to give out the blessing to his son, and he says, I'm here to receive the blessing, Daddy. And I, I, Isaac says, Who are you? Well, I'm Esau, your boy. You sound like Jacob. Come here close. And Isaac hugs him, feels the goat rough skin on his neck, and smells him. He says, Ah, the smell of my son Esau, like the field. <laughs> and he begins to bless him and gives him Esau's blessing Jacob runs out Esau comes in about an hour later dad I'm here who are you I'm your firstborn Esau ready to receive your blessing he says that Isaac trembled violently he said I already gave it out I gave it to your brother and he will have it he said Esau said, that conniving, he did it to me again. He stole my birthright, and now he's got my blessing. Father, don't you have one for me? He said, what I said, I said, and you will serve him for the rest of your days. From that moment on, it says that Esau only had consolation when he thought about killing his brother Jacob. So his happy thoughts <laughs> were about how I could fillet this guy which meant it was time for Jacob to go. Jacob flees. He realizes his life is in danger. His mama says, you got to go to my brother Laban, which is up north. Uh, Laban lived up north in the area probably of Haran, where Abraham originally came uh, from to get into the promised land. He was from Ur of the Chaldees, but he had transitioned to Haran. He came down to the promised land, so that's probably where Laban was. And we know that Jacob had to get out of Dodge in a hurry because he had little resources. So he gets to Laban, and uh, he, he says, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm here to, to be with you. And one of the reasons that, that Rebecca had sent him was not only for his safety, but Rebecca said to, to Jacob, please, do not. Your, your brother Esau has married some of the women of the land, and they're like a big headache to me because they don't, they don't respect me. We, we argue a lot. Please go marry somebody from your own kin. Don't marry somebody who happens to be a foreigner. And so he has two purposes in going to Laban. One, to find a wife. Two, to get away from his brother. As he's at Laban's home, he sees Laban's daughter. Now, back then, you could do this. Everybody hear me? Back then, you could do this. 
<clears throat> so it, it was the first or second cousin, I'm not quite sure, someplace in there. And it's Rachel, and she is a looker, y'all. I mean, she's, she's top 10 model gorgeous. She's that good looking, as evidenced by the fact of what Jacob says he's going to do for her hand in marriage. Now, back then, you had to give a bride price. The bride price was the amount of money that you would pay to the father for the resources that he used to raise his daughter and those he would not gain by having her as serving in his house and just for the value of who she was to him, which was inestimable. But there had to be something that the man would give in order to say, this is what she means to me by giving resources to you. And some of you might think, well, wait a minute now, why is a man paying for a woman? That's just ridiculous. And all the women's identity things just rise up. And What's an engagement ring? I mean, if somebody asks you to marry them, ladies, don't you expect something? And probably a little bit more than just a rubber band? If, it's a, if you're a woman of noble standing, say a princess from Monaco or someplace in England, you can't buy an engagement ring at Walmart. That ain't going to do. <laughs> you, be, you better come correct. You better find out where the owner of Tiffany's is. <laughs> Not the Tyson store. You got to go to the owner and say, what do you have that you don't put in the, in the store? So there has always been and always will be rightfully a sense of this is what you mean to me. There's no way we can pay for you and, sh and never should there be a price put on your head. But this is what you mean to me. This is how I value you. And this is what it meant to Jacob. But he didn't have any resources. And so he said, I'll give you seven years of labor for her. How much do you make a year? <laughs> Multiply it by seven. That's a serious engagement ring. That's how pretty she was. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody that's willing to pay $500,000 for the right to marry somebody. It just doesn't happen very often. But that's how quality this woman was. Seven years of labor, I will give you for her hand in marriage. And he does it. He works hard. Day comes. Seven years is up. Everybody's been given the announcements. The wedding's going to happen. People coming. It's really, really cool. And uh, the, 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 the wedding lasts a week. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not a 30-minute ceremony and then an hour-and-a-half reception. <laughs> the reason being, you have people coming from sometimes hundreds, hundreds of miles away, and it takes them weeks to get there. No planes, no cars, no motorcycles. They're traveling by donkey, and they're walking. So the last thing you want is to have a three-hour moment, and then they return home. You make it a week long, as evidenced by the wedding at Cana, where Jesus sees that the bridegroom has run out of wine, but it was a seven-day event, and the wedding happens the seventh day. So people are partying and rejoicing up to that point for an entire week. And generally speaking, even though it wasn't customary, it did happen. People ran out of wine because people like to drink. This is, this is important to my, my, the case I'm making. 
So here we get to the seventh day. The marriage happens. The bride is beautiful. She's got a veil on. Everything is just the way it ought to be. And Jacob's so excited. It's been seven years. He's been waiting for this moment. Boy, you cannot wait. Everybody's here. It's exciting. He gets to the nuptial chambers after they say their I do. And then, you know, they they get up up in the morning. And and he, 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 ah! Ah, wah, wah, wah. Laban had had replaced Rachel with Leah. Who was Leah? Leah was the older sister. And she was not top ten model gorgeous. That's what the Bible says. That's not Brett. That's not Brett. That's not Brett. She was was beautiful on the inside. But she was not the one for whom he was willing to work for seven years. She was hot. Now you say to yourself, how didn't he know? (laughs) I mean, like, how did you not know? Well, after after six days of drinking a lot of wine. (laughs) Dimly lit rooms with candles and a veil over the face. Leah was a part of this thing. So I imagine when they got into the nuptial chamber, she went straight to the candles and went. (laughs) I don't know, but he didn't know. He didn't know. And he goes to Laban. He says, what did you do to me? Jacob got Jacob. You reap what you sow. He met his match in Laban. Laban says, oh, I forgot to tell you. Yeah, it's our custom to marry off the older sister before the younger, and Leah's oldest, so eh. But you can have Rachel if you work for me for another seven years. He was so mad. I don't think he had to work another seven years to get Rachel, meaning work seven years and to get her. I think he got her immediately but he had to work for another seven years to keep her. (sighs) Fourteen years under Laban's manipulative rule. I mentioned that story because it's important for you to understand where Joseph came from. Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. He loved, meaning Jacob, Rachel so much. And it took her almost 20 years to bear this first child. Leah, although she wasn't the most loved, She was the most fruitful. She bore six sons, one daughter. There were other sons born through their maidservants, meaning Rachel and Leah's maidservants, two each. So there were ten sons, one daughter, before Joseph ever came into the family. And when he came, Jacob just, he he lavished kindness and goodness and affection and attention And all the things that a father should give every child, he gave more to Joseph than any child. Now, it's it's not uncommon for a parent to like one child more than another. It's not even wrong. Some children are just easy to like. (laughs) Others give you a headache. They don't listen to you. They storm out of the room. They suck their teeth. They hit the wall when they, they, they just slam doors. It's hard to like them. Others are, yes, ma'am. 
whatever you want. Yes, sir. It's easy to like them, but you should never have to differentiate between loving them. Ever. And Joseph was loved more by his daddy than any of his other sons. And that's bad. You love all your children the same. So loved was he that it was evidenced by a beautiful coat he had, multicolored, which was hard to do because the dyes were hard to come by. And today it would be as if a, a dad gave a 14-year-old a, a full-length mink. <laughs> Why you want to do that? And then that kid wears it to school. And so one day, Joseph is supposed to, he's been tasked by his father to go and check on his brothers to see how they're doing. And they hate him because they know their daddy loves him more than anybody else. And he's wearing his full-length mink just to go check on his brothers. Oh, and they see it. and They're so mad. And let me tell you why they're mad. They're not just mad because daddy likes <clears throat> Joseph better. They're not mad because Joseph has flaunted his perceived ascendancy over them he's had two dreams that are accurate one where a bunch of sheaves which are bundled harvest grain coming and bowing down to joseph and he gets up and he goes and tells his brothers i had this dream and all y'all gonna come worship me you're gonna bow down to me worship would be too strong you're gonna bow down to me and they just he has another dream where the stars, the moon, and the sun bow down to him. And this time he goes to his daddy. Because the, sun, the moon and the star, I'm sorry, the moon and the sun represent mom and dad. And daddy says, have you lost your mind? That's Brett's paraphrase. He says, you believe your mother and I are going to bow down to you? That's what I had. Some stuff you keep to yourself. They see Joseph coming from a half a mile away because of this pretty coat. And they say, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Now, you know you, you have really built up some animosity when all your brothers want to kill you. The story turns out that they don't kill him. They wind up selling him to Egypt as a slave. This story about Jesus, from, excuse me, about Joseph, from start to finish, is probably the most complete Old Testament version of Christ's life that we have. So paralleled is it, so mirroring is it, that the one who actually sold Joseph into slavery to the Midianites, who would then sell Joseph into Egypt, sold him for 30 pieces of silver. His name was Judah. Judas. And Joseph now is trying to figure out how in the world am I ever going to get to what I know is, has been given to me with respect to vision and dreams. From here, I'm a slave. He winds up in Potiphar's house. Potiphar happens to be the captain of the guard, which is the secret service uh, agent who is in charge of all the protection for the king. He's also in charge of the prison. This man is wealthy and he's got power. 
and he takes Joseph as a slave. Now, the beautiful thing about this story is that Joseph, all throughout this moment, which lasts while he's in Egypt, 13 years until the culmination of his brothers in this moment that we're going to look at here and and, and dive into in 50, chapter 50, happens. 13 years of going in the wrong direction. And Joseph, we don't have one record of his complaint. We don't have any words regarding him doubting whether God was able to do what he was going to do. As he sold into slavery, everything from the evidence of what we see happens says that Joseph in his mind was saying, if I'm going to be a slave, I'm going to be the best slave I can possibly be to such a degree that he starts at the bottom and works his way up to where now Potiphar doesn't, doesn't let anybody else control anything else in the house except Joseph. Joseph is over all the slaves. He's over the, the contributions, the, the payments. He's over all the, the supplies. He's over everything. The only thing that Potiphar didn't con- uh, concern himself with for himself was his own food. Everything else Joseph was in charge of. And there were probably 50 to 100 servants that he had control over. One day, let, let, me, let me start with this, that Joseph had, had one, 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 one flaw. He was really good looking. <laughs> so he inherited what he got from his mama. I mean, he was handsome. It says he was handsome. Potiphar's wife noticed that. And she says, one day, come to bed with me. And Joseph said, I can't do that. I will not sin against God. And he is so adamant about it, he begins to run out of the house. But she was so close to him that she grabs his coat, cloak, and she holds on to it. And he is so adamant that he runs out of his coat and keeps running. She's so mad that he did not comply. She tells her husband, that servant of yours, he tried to assault me. Now, the, 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 the penalty for an attempted assault like this or a completed assault was death. It didn't matter. You, you mess with another man's wife, you were dead. But Potiphar puts Joseph in prison. Hmm. What does that tell you about Potiphar knowing about Potiphar's wife? Mm-hmm. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. So Joseph's now in prison, going the wrong direction from his dreams. You may not think that your path looks anything like what your destination is supposed to look like. But if, you are, if you're in the middle of God's will, you cannot but arrive. Are you listening to me? It may not look like the way you're going is the way to get to where you need to be. But if you are in the middle of God's will, the difficulty through which you are going is the best way for you to get there. He's going the wrong way. He started as a slave which was at the bottom. And now he's under the bottom. He's in prison and wrongly accused. Oh, most of us, God, why me? All I've done is do right. Yeah, I was stupid when I was a kid, but I'm 25 now. Why me? This shouldn't happen. I'm trying to serve the best way I know how. Where are you? Do you care at all? That's most of us. And, and can, I, can I spare you moments like that just for a minute? I beg you. 
Don't ever let those two words with respect to God's care for you come out of your mouth. Why me? Because you don't want the answer. That's a question. You do not ask because you do not want the answer. Do you want him to list all your sins? Everything you've done wrong? You need to flip it. How am I so blessed? Why am I still breathing? You said the wages of sin is death. How come I'm not six feet under? Thank you for your mercy, oh God. There ain't nothing right in this world. It's going the wrong direction. And, 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 and we, are, we are some of the things that are not right. I've been walking with him for 38 years. And I'm grateful that he sustained me during the entire time. And I am, I am by his grace, more consistent than not. But I still mess up, even though I'm more right than I've ever been. When I say more right, I can't get more right with respect to the cross because he's the only one that makes me right. But with respect to actions, I'm doing better than I've ever done in my life. And I'm still not right. I still have a long way to go. Like Paul says, I have yet to arrive. I haven't become all that I need to be yet. And so I realize he still, even though I'm doing right, he still has to have mercy on me every day. So I have disciplined my soul to never say, why me? I just always say, how come you bless me? I don't understand why you're so kind to me. That you just forgave me would be enough. That would be enough. But then you call me your son and you put me in line for inheritance stuff. And you, you let me have friends like I've got it. The, the most fabulous church on the planet. And I have resources to put my kids through college. And, uh, my problems are all good problems. Why have you treated me better than I deserve? Why? I'm convinced that Joseph had to have that attitude to continue in the way that he went because the fruit of his life doesn't manifest disgruntledness or bitterness. He's in prison. And the same mindset he had while he was a slave, he employs in prison. If I'm going to be a slave, I'm going to be the best slave. If I'm going to be a prisoner, I'm going to be the best prisoner. So good was he. That the warden gave him the keys. It says that Joseph was put in charge of the entire prison. He was in charge of feeding them, locking them up every night. And after he locked up the last prisoner, (laughs) he had to lock himself up. What a man. What a man. One day, two guys get, get thrown into prison with him. <clears throat> Cup bearer and a baker to the king. That meant something went wrong with a meal. <laughs> somebody got sick. Somebody died. We don't know who's responsible, but we're throwing both of y'all in prison until we figure it out. They have dreams. Cup bearer has a dream. Baker has a dream. They don't know what it means. They tell the dream to one another, and then Joseph overhears it. Joseph says, hey, wait, 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 wait. I know my God. He can interpret dreams. Listen, when you are disgruntled, bitter, and angry at God, the last thing you can do is employ his gifts. You're not even tapped in that way. 
That's how we know his attitude was always checked. God, my God, can interpret dreams. Cupbearer tells him the dream. He says, oh, you're going to be restored in a couple of days to your position. Baker hears the cupbearer's interpretation. He says, oh, this is great. Wait till he hears my dream. Baker tells him, he says, yeah, you're going to be dead in three days. (laughs) Both things happen. And as Joseph looks at the cupbearer, and the cupbearer is being restored, Joseph says, "Um, by the way, don't don't forget me. You and everybody else know I shouldn't be here. You know what happened. You know how good I was in Potiphar's house. You know I should be dead if they accuse me of what I did and I I actually did it. I'm not. Remember me. The cupbearer forgets him. (laughs) Another reason for Joseph to be mad again. And he doesn't get mad. (sighs) Hear me. People cannot treat you any way that God doesn't allow. Do you know that it was possible for a slave in Egypt to actually earn his way out by paying the master for his freedom? And if you were over the entire household of of Potiphar, which was a very massive budget... You could work it to where the business deals you made for the supplies for the household allowed you the privilege of making a little money on the side. And the master didn't mind. If you were ingenious enough to make that happen and leverage your influence, good for you. And if Joseph had earned enough money to free himself, where would he have gone? Back home. If he had gone back home, would he have been in line to listen to the next dream? Pharaoh has a dream. He sees seven cows that are stout and strong. And they are just the, the finest. They're, they're 4-H cattle with blue ribbons. And then he sees these seven scrawny, ugly cows come out of the Nile and eat up the other cattle. He has no idea what this means. And it happens a couple of times. And he asks all his entire court, what is this dream? What are these dreams? And they don't know. And then the cupbearer comes and says, um... <clears throat> Uh, I hate to bring up a point in time when you were really mad at your servant, but there was, a, there was time when you threw me in prison. But while I was there, there was this guy I met. And this guy I met, like I had a dream, and, 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 and he told me about it, and he interpreted it, and it came about just as you, just as you said, and I'm back in your court. I think he can help. He cleaned Joseph up, brought him. King told him the dream. Joseph interpreted it and said, you're going to have seven years of plenty. You're going to have seven years of famine. The seven years of famine are going to eat up all your years of plenty unless you have somebody who's wise enough to know what to do with the stuff when we get really fat, P-H-A-T, fat. (laughs) May the king, please, set somebody in charge to administrate this moment. The king looks at him and says, anybody like you in my kingdom? Nobody is wise as you that has the spirit of God in them. You're in charge, and you will only have to answer to me. And everybody has to answer to you. Put a ring on his finger. Put a robe on his back. Prime minister. Prison to palace in a day. In a day. If he had tried to buy his freedom, he would have gone home. And in going home, his family would not have been provided for and they all would have starved to death. Sometimes God has to take you lower to bring you higher. 
Sometimes he has to confine you and keep you in your spot because the timing isn't quite right for you to be released. Even though you want to save yourself, sometimes you got to lock yourself up so that God might do more with you than just for you. Are you listening to me? Joseph was amazing. He was amazing. Plenty happens. Famine occurs. Joseph has saved up all this grain, and, and it's acquired great benefit for the entire kingdom. He is so wise. It's great. And all of a sudden, he sees these people from Canaan coming. And they come before him, and they're asking for grain. And he recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him. I can't tell you how much the story is like what happened in the Gospels with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize Jesus, so he was walking with them. It is so much like it. They don't recognize him because they're not thinking that their brother would be prime minister. He's probably dead or a slave. And they ask for grain, and Joseph goes in the back and just weeps. And he begins to be flooded with everything that he dreams 13 years earlier, 14, 15 years earlier. It's coming to pass. A couple of interactions going back and forth from Canaan to, to, to Egypt. And finally, daddy comes. The brothers have to repent. There's a huge conciliatory moment. Joseph forgives them. It's all great. And their family is restored, and, and the family's eating, and everybody's happy, especially Jacob, who thought his, bro- his son had died. And he's so happy to have his son restored. He's sorry that he lost about 16 years with him, but he's got his boy back, and it's great. And now Jacob is dead. And the brothers think, we have, we have to forge a note. <laughs> because daddy really didn't say this, but, but it's what he was thinking probably. Our daddy, while he was alive, said it would be really good for you to treat your brothers well. Even though they did you bad, please be kind to them. Daddy didn't do that. Daddy was probably hoping that that Joseph would teach his brother the lesson. And Joseph, when he hears about this message, because they didn't didn't show up initially. They sent a messenger to say it because they weren't quite sure. Whether now daddy, when daddy was dead, whether Joseph was going to really be mad at him. And that he was only being kind to him because of their father. So they sent a messenger ahead. And with all of this, it says that Joseph wept. Why? Because he's sitting there thinking, what about my kindness has not been received? How have I not, how have I not created, created an environment whereby my brothers actually believe I love them? What more can I do to let them know how much I care and that the past is over? And so when they come to him, he does even more than he did previously. He knows the letter was forged. He didn't have, but he doesn't even talk to him about it. He just says, I want you to know. I'm going to provide for you and your children. What did Peter say on the day of Pentecost? regarding the promise of God and salvation. This promise, Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 40, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Nowhere in the Bible is the, the process mirroring of Christ's ministry more seen than in Joseph's life. I'm going to provide for you and your children. It would have been enough if he had just forgiven them. 
but he's trying to figure out how to bless them. Isn't that like our God? Isn't that what I said earlier? I would just be happy with not having to suffer the consequences of my disobedience, but you actually give me stuff. This is how, this is why the church was so excited when it was first birthed. Because Peter said this, you've crucified him who was both Lord and Christ in Acts chapter 2. And it says they were all pierced to the heart. He said, brethren, what shall we do? Is there any hope for us? Now they looked at Peter as one of the Old Testament apostles, uh, prophets. Somebody was coming to pronounce judgment on him. And whenever a prophet brought a hard word, usually there was judgment afterwards. God's going to get you for this. You have really messed up and some nation is coming to beat you up for it. And nobody had committed a greater crime than those who killed Jesus in that generation. They were expecting the hammer to fall. Peter says this, oh, repent, be baptized, and receive a gift. We just, we just killed somebody. Murdered him who was God that could not stay dead. And he's not only going to forgive us, he's going to give us the opportunity to turn away from everything we've done wrong and then give us a gift. Who is this God? Who is Joseph? Whereby he could look at people who destroyed 13 years of his life. 13 years of his life they destroyed. And yet he says, I'm going to provide for you and your children. And then it says, he spoke kindly to them words of comfort. I'm going to end with this. If you've lived long enough, either you have somebody who has treated you horribly, or you've been the person who has treated somebody horribly. Either you need to forgive, or you are in need of forgiveness. And I want us to come to the Lord for a moment. And see if there's anything on the inside of us that's in line with the Holy Spirit that allows us to mirror what Joseph did to his brothers, to the people who have hurt us. And then secondly, be like Joseph's brothers. Realize I've done some damage and I need to apologize. I'm coming before you realizing the wrong I've done and the last thing I want to do is hold to it. I repent. If you fit in either of those categories whereby you need to go to somebody and ask for their forgiveness or you need to forgive somebody, I'm begging you to do it today. Because the longer you hold on to that unforgiveness, <laughs> somebody said unforgiveness is like this. It's, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It messes you up. You can't sleep. You wake up thinking, oh, I'm going to get him. They're going on about their life. They're not thinking about you. But you are confined. You are bound. And forgiveness allows you the privilege of being released from that. It literally means to untie a boat from the dock and let it go. It has nothing to do with emotion. Nothing. And it is filled with perspective. Meaning this. How much did God have to extend his favor and grace to forgive you for everything you've done? How much? Can you count the number of times you've offended him? He's been really magnanimous to you. He's been overly kind to Brett. 
Why can't you forgive that person for that one thing they did? Just one. They may have done it 15 times. One. Freely you have received. Free to give. Forgiveness is that gift we want, but we don't want to give. It doesn't work like that. If it has come to you, it needs to flow through you. Let's pray. And if you fit in that category, just pray these prayers with me. You who need to forgive, say, Father, I thank you for your forgiveness. And I choose today to begin the process of forgiving those who have hurt me. I release them. I let them go. I no longer am going to be tied to them by their offense. And I pray that you would heal my heart. Restore my soul because I've been in pain. Help me. Strengthen me. Bring back the joy of my salvation, please. In Jesus' name. For those of you who need to be forgiven, Lord, give me the courage to go to that person and ask them to forgive me. Help me to say the right words. Before you, I am sorry for what I did. And I choose to turn away from it. If there's restoration that needs to be made, Lord, help me make it. In Jesus' name.